The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language. It's a bit different, but it's also becoming normal. Saturday, the 11th of April 2020, and this cop in Uganda is getting a little cranky. Uh, let me tell you one thing. I am not going to be nice to some of you motherfuckers. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am not going to be nice to some of you motherfuckers. Let me tell you. We have a pandemic. Coronavirus is a pandemic. Parents, can you fucking get your kids out from the street? It's fucking annoying. Some of you motherfuckers, you have your kids out there and it's fucking 9 p.m. I just cannot understand what the fuck is wrong with some of you. For God's sake, some of your kids are there, they are catching disease. Some of your kids are there, they are distributing your, uh, uh, the disease. You fucking need to go get your kid. You know, grab their nuts. Grab their dick and twist that nuts. You understand? It's fucking annoying. We have thousands of doctors that are dying for us today. Doctors are sacrificing their life. We have nurses who are dying for us today. Okay? So we have most, so some of you motherfuckers, your kids are fucking at the park. It's 9 p.m. Some of you motherfuckers, you, you, you know, you're having your kids, uh, your kids are out there at the beach. They're fucking enjoying Can you fucking understand you have a state of emergency? Some of you bastards are out there, you distributing your disease. you catching disease. Can you fucking stay at home? Let me tell you. When you move, coronavirus will move. When you stay, the coronavirus will go away. Can you fucking stay at home, motherfucker? I just can't fucking understand this. Some of you are fucking distributing your motherfucking disease out there, bastards. I'm not going to be nice to none of you motherfuckers. Stay at home. Stay at home. We have nurses who are sacrificing there. We have doctors who are fucking sacrificing there. Some of you motherfuckers are just rubbing on the street just like a motherfucker, bastards. It's fucking annoying. Stay at home for God's sake, Jesus Christ. I just gonna understand what the fuck is wrong with some of you parents. Go get your fucking kids. Grab them on the nuts. Slap them. Beat them up. It's fucking annoying. It. You know what? Let me see you outside. I'll put a bullet in your ass. The official message from the Australian government uh, the other day was slightly less manic. It read, Coronavirus OSGov message, stay home this Easter and help save lives. Only leave for what you really need, plus exercise, work, medical and care. os.gov.au Hello, I'm Stilgerian. This is the 9pm His Plague Diary, episode 5. Uh, For me, it's day five, no, day 25 of the quarantines, although time has really lost meaning already. Yesterday was weird. It was Good Friday, uh, meant to be, you know, the start of a long weekend, although a quiet day. For me, I was a bit down. I will admit that. Uh, the weather in the Blue Mountains, it had been several grey and soggy days, which which is never very enjoyable. And I'd also got some uh, personal news, or news about a friend, I should say, their personal news, which kind of put me in a, a bad mood too. Uh, a, a drab mood, I should probably say. So it started off pretty slow, pretty down. But I did have to go down to Sydney, and many thanks in advance, uh, well, 
in retrospect. Now, to my back chap, uh, my back is one of those that requires a bit of a regular graunch. Uh, and thanks to uh, Cody, who spread out his appointments across the holidays to allow enough time between all of his clients to just wipe everything down, including the doorknobs. So that was that was really helpful. I caught a train down around lunchtime again. Um, I'll spare you the train noises for now, but I will say that only six people boarded the train at Wentworth Falls, including me. Uh, and then as it continued down the hill, it felt a lot like a night train. Night trains are, are kind of not very full Everyone's quiet. No one's there unless you really have to be there, like the train that that leaves at 4 a.m. or 4.40 a.m. to go down uh, to the city, which I've had to do very occasionally. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of – it's almost like a shared experience. You know, everyone's there because they just have to be there. Anyway, it had that feel, except it was a really bright, sunny day outside. It it felt weird, uh, and the train was so empty, it, it had to keep pausing at some of the stations because otherwise it would run early with so few people getting on and off. Uh, as we got closer to the city, I noticed that uh, the suburban trains we were passing were virtually empty, tops 10 people, sometimes up to 20 a bit later, but we're talking eight-car trains that normally hold 600 people, something like that. It's a lot, but they were all virtually empty. The streets were empty. Nothing much was happening on the Great Western Highway up into the Blue Mountains. Again, that would normally be full of holiday weekend traffic. Uh, the photograph at the top of the webpage for this podcast is of the Cumberland Highway. Again, a, a busy arterial road through Sydney, and I think you can see two or is it three cars in the whole thing only 10 people boarded the train at Parramatta. Maybe only about four got off. And then as I arrived at Sydney Central Station, well, yeah, things were kind of strange. This is amazing. There's, there's maybe 20 people getting off this four-car train. All keeping well spaced apart. No one really looking the train touristy. Platform six goes to Lithgow via Parramatta. First stop Strathfield, then Lithgow, Parramatta, Blacktown, Penrith, then all stations to Springwood, then all stations to Katoomba, then Medlow Bar, Blackheath, and Mount Victoria. Change at Mount Victoria for connecting bus. Stopping at Bell, then. Zigzag and Lithgow. Central Station is very, very quiet. Just going down the steps now into the lower concourse where all the suburban trains are. There are six passengers, nine, ten, twelve if you're lucky, in the entire lower concourse. Certainly freshly uh, cleaned and mopped though. Most of the staff wearing uh, face masks. I've got a bit of time so I'm going to walk uh, from Central Station up through Surrey Hills, up through Surrey Hills to Darlinghurst just to see what it's looking like. Again it's 
very, very quiet. Very quiet. Kind of creepy, in fact. It sounds busier than it is in that grab. Elizabeth Street, uh, at the bottom of Surrey Hills, uh, was pretty much trafficked only by buses, which were mostly almost empty, a few private vehicles. The the big traffic information sign, the, the light-up one, just read, Stop the spread of COVID-19, stay at home. And as I walked up through Surrey Hills and through Darlinghurst to where I had to go, I, I did pass a convenience store, which had two signs, one showing how it was open uh, for fewer hours, the other one saying... All this week, buy one, get one free. They were having trouble moving their stock. I won't go into much more detail about how the city looked, except to say, yeah, there were very few people around. Most of the uh, the shops and cafes and restaurants were closed. A few had set up kind of counter service for takeaway, but that's about it. And on the way back on the train, that was uh, then an eight-car V-set train for those who get into it. I think there were maybe eight passengers in the whole thing. I certainly had the entire front car to myself. I mean, Good Friday is usually quiet, but this was ridiculous. When we got to Wentworth Falls, I was the only passenger alighting, and that eight-car train continued up the hill to Lura and Katoomba, and I think I saw five passengers remaining after that. Of course, everything is shut down, and I think that's starting to hit people. Travel is closed down. Yeah, we were told to stay home for Easter. But Virgin Airlines announced, Virgin Australia, that it had reduced its services to just one flight a day between Sydney and Melbourne. That's normally 30 flights or something. I mean, in the rush hour, there's one every 15 minutes. And they're not going to run any flights at all on Saturdays. On the day before that, on Wednesday, I'd gone up to do the shopping in uh, Katoomba again. Uh, people were well behaved, but again, there was a limit on a number of people in the, sh- the shop at any one time. Staff were counting them in and out with one of those little clickers that nightclub bouncers use to keep track of numbers, uh, <laughs> because you know what they're like. Uh, Liquorland, the bottle shop, they'd actually built a Corona fort, I like this, out of beer cases stacked up around the counter, so you physically couldn't get closer than a metre and a half. Uh, the staffer there says they're going to be laying landmines next week, maybe put a bit of razor wire along the, the top. One thing that has fascinated me about the past few days, and by fascinated I mean really, really annoyed, and that's the way people are starting to judge other people over what they do and don't consider to be essential. Uh, I mean, I did okay. Uh, Some people asked whether my travel was essential. I said, yeah, I'm going to have my back maintained. This is a thing I need to do uh, rather than be in pain and distracted from work. Okay, I have to go down to Sydney and do that because that's where my chap is. And you know, while I'm there, I'll do some shopping because it's not going to, you know, matter. I have to do that shopping somewhere at some time. I did see some people complaining on the Twitters that that going to Bunnings, the hardware store, wasn't essential this weekend. Well, how the fuck would you know? How do you know what what the people there do and don't happen to need? Maybe they've got a leak and need to get you know a tap washer. Maybe. Like something's broken and they need to fix it. Maybe this is the only day they can do that because they're working the other days and have to stay at home to work. You know, come on, people. What's not essential for you may well be essential for someone else. 
I get the feeling that as the, uh, the death toll rises, and it will rise, there's no doubt about that, that uh, people will continue to look for other people to blame. I mean, at the moment, if, if you look a bit Asian, obviously that's, that's, that's the people taking the brunt of this. But my guess, and I hope I'm wrong, but my guess is that this will become worse uh, and more widespread. Wednesday was also the day when uh, Parliament met for a day to jam through some legislation. I won't go into those details because if if you're in Australia, you, you kind of are keeping track of what does and doesn't affect you. But I was fascinated by Prime Minister Scott Morrison appealing to something called sovereignty. Now, I don't, I don't think he knows what that means. Have a listen to this. What we do today is what governments have always done in such circumstances. When our nation is under threat that previous generations of Australians have done before us, today we act to protect Australia's sovereignty. When Australian lives and livelihoods are threatened, when they are under attack, our nation's sovereignty is put at risk and we must respond. As a government, as a parliament, as a nation, together. Nurses, teachers, drivers, cleaners, doctors, police and paramedics, <coughs> factory workers, engineers and bankers, grocers, miners, farmers, pastors, priests and imams, politicians, union officials, even lawyers. Mums, dads, grandparents, kids, families, all of us. Our sovereignty is measured in our capacity and freedom to live our lives as we choose in a free, open and democratic society. We are not a coerced society. We act through our agreement and our willful support of the national interest through our many institutions, including this parliament and the many other parliaments around this country. And we will not surrender this. Our sovereignty is enabled by having a vibrant market economy that underpins our standard of living, that gives all Australians the opportunity to fulfil their potential, to have a go and to get a go. And we will not surrender this. It's hardly, as I've said before, we will fight them on the beaches, we will never surrender. But it's good to have a market economy, I suppose. I'll come back to that. Meanwhile, in the uh, United States, ABC News, the American one, has revealed that America knew about the coronavirus outbreak back in November. Uh, this news report is from Thursday, US time. ABC News investigation out this morning reports that the National Center for Medical Intelligence warned the military and the White House late last year about the spread of coronavirus in China. Our senior White House correspondent Cecilia Vega joins us now with the details. Good morning, Cecilia. 
Hey, Michael, good morning to you. So it was just yesterday that President Trump said no one had even heard of the virus two months ago. But we are now learning that as far back as late November, American military medical investigators overseas sounded the alarm to officials right here at home about a contagion that was sweeping through Wuhan. Those concerns that the virus could be devastating were detailed in a report, and multiple sources have described that report to our team. Now, it's not just that. There were repeated briefings for policymakers across the federal government through December. And by early January, the warnings made it into the president's daily briefing. But it wasn't until late January that President Trump made his first public comments about this virus, virus, saying that he wasn't at all worried about it and that he had it totally under control. Of course, this is now raising serious questions about whether the administration could have ramped up the response efforts before it actually did. Michael, so far, no comment from the Pentagon or officials at the White House. Well, we know you're going to stay on them today, Cecilia. But we also heard the president in a middle of this pandemic, he threatened to cut off funding to the well, world, world, world Health Organization. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, he did. Uh, you're right, Michael. And it's because he says he's angry with the group, saying that they've been too China-centric during this outbreak. And he said, point blank, we're going to put a very powerful hold on the money given to them. But then just a few minutes later, he seemed to backtrack, saying that he's now strongly considering it, Michael. But if this does happen, it would be huge. The U.S. is the largest single contributor to the WHO. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars, Michael. And not long ago, he was praising the WHO. Thank you so much, Cecilia. That ABC report goes on to say uh, that the intelligence report was the result of analysis of wire and computer intercepts coupled with satellite images, which is interesting. Uh, And according to former Deputy Assistant Defence Secretary Mick Mulroy, who's now an ABC News contributor, he said uh, that report would be a significant alarm that would have been set off and it would have been something that would be followed up by literally every intelligence collection agency, uh, and that would include uh, perhaps human intelligence, more signals intelligence, and and so on. Now, a while back, I did say that maybe Australia's lockdown of the borders, which initially people considered to be a bit over the top, was based on information that the government hadn't released, and uh, uh, this ABC report would uh, seem to support my little theory there. The very next day, uh, though, Trump tweeted, and this is depressing, uh, the Wall Street Journal always forgets to mention that the ratings for the White House press briefings are through the roof uh, compared with Monday Night Football Bachelor finale, according to New York Times, and is the only way for me to escape the fake news and get my views across. Wall Street Journal is fake news. Here are people dying and Trump's bragging about his ratings. A guy called Matthew Gertz, uh, he uh, works for Media Matters for America. Uh, That bills itself as the nation's premier progressive media watchdog. He noticed something scary. He said, quote, We've reached the stage of Fox News' coronavirus coverage where primetime hosts call for the removal of public health officials for not sticking to their talking points. And it's true. Uh, he then linked to Fox News's uh, blonde woman. That's a that's a new class of human. Fox News blonde woman. One word. Laura Ingram's uh, called for firing the director of the Centers for Diseases Control uh, for dismissing hydro- hydroxychloroquine, which of course Trump had been promoting. Now this just happened. 
The CDC director, you know, the agency that kind of screwed up testing for about six weeks in the United States, he was on CNN tonight, essentially dismissing, trashing a backhanded slap at hydroxychloroquine, despite all of its success stories. Unbelievable. Now, if, he, if it was actually a government agency, a real agency, really, he probably would be fired for that. But my medicine cabinet sets the record straight. Her medicine cabinet is apparently a segment on her program. Uh, sounds quality. Uh, and speaking of medicine, obviously, uh, the evidence that hydroxychloroquine helps COVID-19 is, uh, shall we say, anecdotal at best. There's certainly been no medical trials. So why is Trump so bullish on this? Well, here's another snippet, which I'm not quite sure where this one's from. Sorry. But uh, there's a Trump donor by the name of Joseph Pizza really, who whose wife was serenaded by Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Can you imagine being serenaded by Trump? Anyway, he, Joseph, not the wife, runs a pharmaceutical company that sells hydroxychloroquine sulfate, which is, of course, uh, the primary active ingredient uh, of the, the medicine. I'm sure all that's totally coincidental. Now, if you've uh, heard some of the previous uh, Plague Diary episodes, you'll know that I've been following uh, the the case of the captain of the USS Theodore Roosevelt, one of America's big nuclear-powered aircraft carriers. Uh, captain Crozier uh, was sacked. Why? Because his ship had a coronavirus outbreak on the ship. They had previously been ordered to stay out at sea. He said, no, we need to get this into port because, you know, we're not at war. There's no reason that sailors should be dying from this. His letter leaked to the media. He was blamed for that. He got sacked. And the reason I've been going into this story is that it reveals rather a lot about the nature of America's leadership uh, at the moment. Well, after... Crozier was sacked, and as you heard last time when he left his ship, the entire crew was cheering for him. Uh, the acting Navy secretary, I mean, everyone who's a secretary in the US is acting, right, because Trump knows an acting secretary doesn't have to get Senate uh, uh, approval, uh, and he could just sack them anytime he likes. Well, the acting Navy secretary, a guy called Thomas Modley, uh, made what Task and Purpose magazine, that's a US defence magazine, called an unhinged speech to the crew members of the Roosevelt. Uh, he flew out to Guam, where the ship was, lashed out at Captain Brett E. Crozier, and basically told the sailors to stop complaining and get on with their jobs. Now, there's a 15-minute audio recording kicking around, link on the podcast website. As always, here's just a little bit of it. If he didn't think, it was my opinion, that if he didn't think that information was, to, was going to get out into the public, in this information age that we live in, then he was A, too naive or too stupid to be the commanding officer of a ship like this. What the fuck? The alternate is that he did it on purpose. And that's a serious violation of the Uniform Code of Mil Military Justice, which you are all familiar with. That message and all the contents in that message was perfectly fine for him to send to people in his chain of command in a confidential way so they could get acting on it. He, in fact, could have given it directly to me through my chief of staff or to me as I asked him to do when I first reached out to him. 
And I'm going to tell you something, all of you. There is never a situation where you should consider the media a part of your chain of command. You can jump the chain of command if you want and take the consequences. You can disobey the chain of command and take the consequences. But there is no, no situation where you go to the media because the media has an agenda. And the agenda that they have depends on which side of the political aisle they sit. And I'm sorry that's the way the country is now, but it's the truth. And so they use it to divide us. They use it to embarrass the Navy. They use it to embarrass you. Everyone's scared about this thing. But I tell you something, if this ship was in combat and there were hypersonic missiles coming at it, you'd be pretty fucking scared too. But you do your jobs. And that's what I expect you to do, and I, that's what I expect every officer on this ship to do, is to do your jobs. As you can probably imagine, uh, Modley's little get-on-with-your-jobs speech didn't go down too well. Uh What also didn't go down too well is the fact that it cost him about a quarter of a million dollars to get that special flight from the US to Guam and back. Uh, He got called out for all of that. Now, Modley was a junior officer at one point, a helicopter pilot, apparently. So, of course, with this kind of criticism, Trump went in to defend him. He started off as a helicopter pilot. They called him Chopper. His name was Chopper. He was a great helicopter pilot. It's a tremendous skill. I know a lot about helicopters. Well, Chopper may know a lot about helicopters, but uh, he did have to walk back what he said big time. He issued a statement, quote, I want to apologise to the Navy for my recent comments to the crew of the TR, the Theodore Roosevelt. Let me be clear. I do not think Captain Brett Crozier is naive nor stupid which is interesting because he actually did say that, I think and always believed him to be the opposite. We pick our carrier commanding officers with great care. Captain Crozier is smart and passionate. I believe precisely because he's not naive and stupid that he sent his alarming email with the intention of getting it into the public domain in an effort to draw public attention to the situation on his ship. I apologise for any confusion this choice of words may have caused. I also want to apologise directly to Captain Crozier, his family and the entire crew of the Theodore Roosevelt for any pain my remarks may have caused. They and the entire Navy have my full commitment that I will continue to help get the TR back to full health and back to see where we can move forward beyond this unfortunate situation. Well, uh... His uh, efforts, this is Modley's efforts to continue to help, lasted approximately 24 hours. The Pentagon sacked him and replaced him with an experienced four-star officer. Be interesting to see what comes out of this. Meanwhile, the sad news is that Captain Crozier himself has been diagnosed with COVID-19. And uh, in other news, I'll just uh, summarise this, check the links on the website, uh, There will be more trouble ahead. Uh, I think some of the senior uh, leadership of the the US military, more ships, more military units, and so on. And to wrap up this look at America, that sounded too cheerful. I'm actually really quite depressed by all this. But uh, yeah, to wrap up uh, this from America, I think this is from CNBC, MSNBC, that's the one. a beautiful screenshot 
I'll stick this on the webpage too. Uh, at the bottom, it says more than 16 million Americans have lost jobs in three weeks. And at the top, the Dow's best week since 1938. Back in Australia, uh, the racism continues, of course. Uh, from a few days ago, uh, there was a guy outside the Chinese consulate in Sydney in Camperdown cracking his whip and abusing the Chinese folks lining up outside to do their business in the consulate. Death to fucking communism. Death to communism. Fucking communism. This music was added by whoever put this audio together. I don't know why we have to have music on all this stuff, but apparently we do. Charming fellow. Uh, he has been rounded up and charged. Also in Australia, some loopiness from chef and paleo enthusiast and anti-vaxxer Pete Evans. Uh, in uh, an Instagram live video the other day, uh, this chap who uh, hosted My Kitchen Rules, one of the greatest television in Australia's history, he promoted a thing called the Biocharger NG Subtle Energy Platform, which is kind of a thing that seems to glow and emit light and which he's charging $14,990 for. He describes it as the world's only digital subtle energy platform that constantly generates the frequencies your body needs to re-energize, refocus and recover. Now, it's interesting that he does say that it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's on my website. If anyone's interested, you can go to Pete Evans and then products. But it's, um, we've had it for the last four or five months up at the farm. We use it pretty much every day. It's a, it's a pretty amazing tool. Uh, it'll take you down some rabbit holes, so I won't <laughs> take me an hour or two to explain it. But I do have a podcast coming very shortly. That's running a limitless uh, program that's 30 minutes. And um, so here we go. But uh, just briefly, it's programmed with about a thousand different recipes. There's a uh, couple on there for Wuhan coronavirus. Except the website has a disclaimer which says, quote, not intended for use in the diagnosis of disease or other conditions or in the cure, mitigation, treatment or prevention of disease in man or other animals. I think we can expect to hear a bit uh, more about that. Uh, the medical authorities have, of course, said, no, of course, you can't cure a virus by shining coloured lights at it. Australia's lockdown this weekend uh, has been covered internationally, of course. Uh, this uh, report is from Simon Cullen in London. This is the glittering Gold Coast. Its long, sandy beaches a magnet for surfers from all over the world and a destination that has marketed itself as Australia's playground. Now though, it's off limits. Some of its most popular- This is the glittering Gold Coast. This is the glittering Gold Coast. Its long sandy beaches a magnet for surfers from all over the world and a destination that has marketed itself as Australia's playground. 
Now, though, it's off-limits. Some of its most popular beaches have been closed amid the ongoing effort to stop the spread of coronavirus. It was scenes like this last weekend of people crowded onto beaches that prompted authorities to act. For us to win this fight against COVID-19, we're in it together. And if if the minority people are actually congregating and and spreading it, um, I know I'm governing for the majority, but in this case, uh, health issue is, is the number one priority. The Easter break is usually the last opportunity for Australians to enjoy a beach holiday before winter sets in. But Prime Minister Scott Morrison is urging people this year, stay home. Failure to do so this weekend would completely undo everything we have achieved so far together and potentially worse. Sydney's iconic Bondi Beach has already been closed because of people flouting social distancing rules. Its beachside pavilion is now being used as a pop-up coronavirus testing centre. We've identified, in conjunction with New South Wales Health, a hotspot within the Bondi community, particularly the backpacker community. For a country that has closed its borders to international visitors and spent billions of dollars to cushion the economic impact, this Easter is like none other. The dream of a laid-back beach holiday gone, another sacrifice in the ever-lengthening battle against a global pandemic. Simon Cullen, CNN, on the Gold Coast, Australia. Now, last week, last time I was speaking with you, I did talk a bit about uh, some of the comments from far-right economic commentators, the uh, Institute of Public Affairs in Australia, the IPA, and uh, their supporters in politics. Over the last week, if anything, uh, their calls for the economic shutdown uh, to end have increased and that's fueled in part by the fact that the number of new cases being reported in Australia um, is declining which is a good thing but it really is too early and and it's not too hard to find uh, commentators that well not commentators epidemiologists uh, and mathematical modelers who point that out uh, the executive director of the IPA Tom Switzer, Uh, said the following this week, the problem for Western governments is they have drawn up a template for dealing with a pandemic that focuses on saving life first and saving the economy later. Imagine the sort of cunt who'd actually write that, that focusing on saving life first is somehow wrong. A writer for the Australian Financial Review Uh, who I won't name because uh, he deserves to be forgotten forever, Uh, he had a similar sort of theme saying that, look, his dad says, you know, he's had a good run, he's 68, so apparently his dad is ready to go to save the economy. I mean, perhaps, I mean, if I were the father of that cunt writer for the Financial Review, then I'd be looking for an exit strategy too. Conspiracies have continued to continue. If it sounds like I'm, I'm getting a bit bored with it, I, I kind of am. This is going to drag on forever. And, and these are themes which, you know, they're not going to stop after just four weeks, are they? Uh, we are presumably going to be in lockdown for months. And this is only going to get worse I won't mention uh, any particular 
conspiracy theories this time, except to point you to uh, an excellent outline in, in Wired, uh, which tells the history of the whole 5G is causing coronavirus thing. I'll just uh, read you a couple of quick paragraphs. The first one, it started with a doctor, January 22nd, Belgian newspaper, Het Laatse News. I can't speak that language. Anyway, they had an interview with Chris van Kirchhoven, who's a general practitioner from Put in uh, near Antwerp in Belgium. He said, 5G is life-threatening and no one knows it. That was the headline. Completely scientifically basis, uh, baseless, the, the claim in the article. Uh, but uh, he says that 5G is not only dangerous, it might be linked to coronavirus. This comes back to the whole, there is a virus lab in Wuhan and there is 5G in Wuhan. This conspiracy theory has grown. The article has uh, plenty of examples showing how it developed. I've, of course, uh, had them on the podcast before. Uh, But you may want to look up for your amusement and certainly not for your uh, elucidation. Amanda Vollmer, V-O-L-L-M-E-R, who describes herself as a mompreneur and uh, anti-vaccination campaigner. Uh, She's from Ontario in Canada. She runs an alternative medicine store. She's been posting videos to Facebook and YouTube claiming that the death of Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, and his daughter in a helicopter crash was in fact an Illuminati blood sacrifice ahead of a mass murder plot i.e. coronavirus, and that mass murder would then allow the cult, uh, that is the Illuminati, to introduce a dangerous new vaccine. And vaccines, Bill Gates, uh, mind control. You've, you've heard all this before on the podcast. Not just uh, conspiracy theories, though. Uh, a friend posted a thing the other day. His account is locked on Twitter at the moment, so I won't say who that is. But apparently, uh, yes, the uh, coronavirus lockdown has spawned a new genre of gay porn, because of course it has. Uh, He's uh, pointed to a video entitled Andrea and Two Big Latin Dicks. The description is as follows. The very sexy Andrea is confined to his home with two dominant fuckers. This beautiful, passive Frenchie may be a dream sex toy for any top guy. So cute and so delicate he is. Any active guy will want to use his ass and to fuck wildly this cute pussy boy. While some people were stocking up toilet paper in food, this clever little one made arrangements in good time to find himself confined to his home with two overheated fuckers. The young passive dude is fucked like a little dog at least five times per day, every single day, and he must serve those big Latino cocks almost all day long. While some of us dream of leaving the COVID prison, Andrea hopes the confinement will last for months. That wasn't my most sensual read, (laughs) but I won't have another go. (coughs) I think we better calm down. Uh, Look, thanks as always to you for listening and thanks uh, to the generous listeners for supporting this little thing, particularly uh, as freelancers are doing it a bit tough at the moment. Uh, This episode, I'd like to say thank you to Brett Rand, to Kimberly Heitman and to Tim Holland again. And this time he says, have some grocery or gin money. I guess it's more or less the same thing. It is, Tim. It is, Tim. If you'd like to join Brett, Kimberly, and Tim, uh, and 
look, I, as I keep saying, you may well have a lot on your plate at the moment. You you may well have lost a job like uh, a lot of Australians have and a lot of people around the world have. Uh, you may well be busy taking care of family and so on. But if you're able to join them, a few bucks here and there, look, that every little bit helps. Please go to stillgarian.com slash tip. That's stillgarian.com slash tip. Oh, and I should also mention... You may mention this to other people when you are telling them about this podcast, that it is back on Apple Podcasts now. There was a technical reason why it wasn't there. Uh, So have a look for it. And uh, what do I have to say? Ring that bell, subscribe, like. No, that's YouTube. Um, Do it. I I should put this podcast on YouTube too. Before I go... Uh, I do want to end uh, each episode of at least the Plague Diaries with something on a more positive note, a more positive note. As you may know, uh, at least in Australia, the, the lockdown does seem to be working for the time being. Uh, there There is plenty of data around, though, that say, says the uh, relaxing the rules will cause another spike in uh, infections and cases, and, and that's that's people getting sick and people dying, and that's probably not a good thing. Uh, however, Australia seems to have uh, copied some of the Italian responses. Remember in Italy, people were gathering on their own balconies so they could all sing into the street, things like opera and so on. Well, Jack uh, Skinner from Piemont in Sydney has posted uh, a very brief snippet of sound from the balcony choir there, uh, which included people dancing in the street, with umbrellas, pandemics, he says, are so weird. Yeah, not the best performance in the world, but hey, they were having fun. And that's what we've got to do. Well, that's the edict for now. Please feel free to send me your own thoughts too. You can either email me, tweet me, or ideally just record a bit of audio uh, on your phone. Send it through or however you want to record your audio. I'm not fussed. Uh, I'd love to know how you've coped with this very strange Easter uh, with school holidays coming up. Well, now as well. Yeah, send me something. Uh, it do include, though, your name or a pseudonym so I can introduce you and tell me where you're from. That'd be great. Until next time, I'm Stilgarian. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.